at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Come on, don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time. Say, it's good to see you. Hey, we're so glad that you're here. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. So if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And, and uh, so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. One of our ushers will get one to you. You can just lift up your hand. And they'll get one over to you. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Three of you think that? Uh, it's great. Uh, need to get better at my job. Uh, every time you read the Bible, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Yeah, that's better. So, hey, turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John where we've been uh, for many weeks now. Uh, and we have several more to go, but we're approaching the conclusion of the book. So I want you to open to John chapter 12, and we're going to read from there. And I'm going to do my best. You can pray for me. I'm dealing with the, the allergy throat thing that I'm trying, and it's a, a definitely a nuisance when you speak for a living. Um, and so, uh, and it's especially dangerous to uh, sneeze or cough in the cultural climate that we're in today. Uh, but I digress. And, uh, and sometimes when I have uh, a handheld microphone, I just turn into a stand-up comedian. So I don't know what's going to happen this morning. Uh, I, might, I might drop it at some point. Uh, but verse 27 uh, is where we're going to start. And I'm going to uh, try my best to explain maybe some uh, big ideas that the Bible paints for us over the course of 66 books and some of the implications of those big ideas or some of the, the, the markers or signposts are in this particular passage. And so this is weighty with the things that Jesus says, the titles that he uses, the implications of what he says. And he's, and he's pointing to themes from the entire Bible. And so in the short period of time that we have, I'm going to try to give uh, maybe some terms, some definitions to some things that help expand uh, our biblical theology, our own personal theology. Theology is a big word, which simply means what do you believe about God? And what do you believe about this God that this Bible points to and reveals to us in the person of Jesus? Because we believe the Bible is a story that's all about Jesus. And so uh, <clears throat> this particular Jesus story gives a, a lot of implications for us. And so uh, more than a sermon, uh, I want to try to talk through some things that maybe give some implications, some practical implications for our lives, our families that goes, hey, how do I wrestle with what ultimately this passage is saying for us? And so it may seem a little different this morning, but I think it's appropriate even for the particular uh, day that we find ourselves um, preaching the gospel on. So uh, verse 27 of chapter 12 in the gospel of John says this, Now my soul is troubled. This is Jesus talking. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that came, the crowd that stood there, heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, said, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of the world. I want you to underline this, put an asterisk beside it, this important passage. Now is the judgment of this world. Now. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. 
Now, we've been building this idea of one of the reasons why they missed Jesus. And here they use the term Messiah, Christ. The Christ will remain forever. How can you say that the Son of Man, or we here, Jewish Superman, how could you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I think you'd help me in my body to speak, although I'm struggling. Um, you would help us to hear your word, to listen to your voice, that you would help our hearts to understand what you have for us, and that all the more we would pursue you for your glory and our good. And everyone said, <clears throat> you know what I hate? I hate baseball. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. And some of you are ready to walk out right now because I said that. And uh, baseball, I, I just don't understand. I, I absolutely hate it. It's like watching the grass grow with thousands of other people, all right? Like, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, like, there's a reason why it's no longer America's favorite pastime, because we have the Internet, and we realize that there are other things more exciting than watching the grass grow, okay? Uh, but have you ever noticed when you say that you don't like something that somebody else really, really likes? <laughs> you ever notice what really happens? Right? You know how frustrated they are? Like, I saw some of your faces. Still, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know about this guy. Right? Uh, he's bringing up some, you know, he's bringing up a wound here. Uh, not that I've been a Braves fan my whole life. But uh, anyways, uh, if I was going to pick a team, uh, anyways, uh, I, I remember the first time I said to a diehard baseball fan, I I don't like it. And I thought I was going to get in a fight. You know, not that that's the first time your pastor's ever almost gotten in a fight. Uh, but anyways, uh, I, I realize that people in our cultural climate especially, and I think here's the reason. I think that we have a really difficult time coming up with, with a principled life. And so instead of having a principled life, we have a life that is full of preferences. Mm, that's good, right? Uh, and, and so what happens is, is because we have not solidified what our principles are, we have filled our lives, especially as a culture, with preferences that now become principles, uh, preferences uh, that now disguise themselves as principles, and so then we have no leg to stand on, but we gravitate towards certain preferences. And even as families, we go, this is what we do as a family. We get together. So, so if, if I was to say something as atrocious and hellish as I don't like baseball, uh, and you are ready to uh, condemn me to the fires of hell because you are, uh, you need to check yourself, friend, because now your preferences have moved into a place of principle. Are you with me? That's good preaching. Thank you, Pastor Sam. Even for those who are ready to cast me out, right? Like, I feel the same way. When, when someone says basketball is, is stupid, I remember just growing up in Kentucky, uh, we have the greatest basketball team in the history of college sports, and uh, uh, <laughs> instantly the UCLA fans in the back were like, oh, are you kidding me, right? Uh, right, and, and so I remember, like, how infuriated I would be because I was so uh, raised in a household that we love the University of Kentucky basketball. And it's because there are no professional teams in the entire state of Kentucky. It's the only thing we got. And, uh, and we love Kentucky basketball. The good thing is over the years, we've gotten pretty good at it. And, uh, and now being removed from that, as I've gotten older uh, and out of the state, I find myself not even watching it or not even being concerned with it. And then when I talk to people from back home, we're like, hey, how 
about them cats? And I was like, I don't like cats, you know. And they're, they're like, like, no, 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 oh, you mean the, the, the cats, the, yeah, the big blue. Okay, no, the, uh, I'm with you. But I, I see uh, how quickly we as a culture can take things that we like or prefer. We can move them out of preferences where they should stay. We adopt them as principles. And when anyone begins to step on those, we go into religious warfare because what has now taken over our Our lives are things that have become idols to us or false idols to us. They become distractions for us. They become things that we love, we gravitate towards, dare I say, we worship. We center our lives around. And when they disappoint us, when our team loses, oh, God forbid, that happened to some of us recently. I'm so sorry uh, that that happened. But sometimes what can happen is we can feel devastated. We, we, can, we can move ourselves to a place where we are confused about what we value. And we know this to be true, whether or not that stings a little bit. We know this to be true, and everyone in this church should say amen. Amen to that. Uh, I, I, know, I know we're struggling with that. But here's where this passage brings us up to, is ultimately this passage is going to peel the curtain back on what is really important. What this passage will do is begin to reveal to us that ultimately there are only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and there's the kingdom of darkness. There's only two paths here. There's a path towards God revealed to us through the person of Jesus, and there's a path moving away from him. And this passage ultimately shows us that there is a war that is going on. It's raging. And this war is between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And that ultimately, God has become king, and no one expected how he would do it. Everyone had a preference for how. He would do it. Some of the preferences that the children of Israel had for even how God would fulfill his purposes caused them to be distracted and miss the actual principles that were there. See, we can so be so preferential that we miss even the principles of God that are directly in front of us because we like it. We want to do it because it makes us feel good. Because, because even it's become tradition for us. This is what we've always done. Now, the, the baseball, the sports analogy, that's a small glimpse into the big things in our lives that get filled up, that we go, I really like this. I really want this. And I really can't let go of this in order to actually pursue what is God's will for my life. Someone say, Amen. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of take us through some big ideas that this particular passage leaves for us that ultimately will cause us to wrestle with all the things in our lives where we have to ask the question, is this something that I like and prefer? And maybe has the enemy used it as a distraction in order to remove me from what is actually meant to be the principled purpose of God for my life? Are you ready? Three of you. Uh, <clears throat> somebody say amen if you're ready. So the first one uh, that we have to deal with here is, uh, is Jesus says, now my soul is troubled. Uh, the first thing that this passage reveals for us, if we're going to break down any part of this passage, is the understanding that Jesus was fully man and fully God. And so when he says, I am troubled, he means it. When he says that this is something that is, um, in, in the Greek, begins to say that he was, he was that, just simply troubled. I, I won't project fearful to that. I may be anxious. Uh, there is uh, many things that... that I think I could attribute, but what he knows is the expectation, uh, the expectation of what is soon about to happen. He says, now, in this moment, my soul is troubled. And this is the, one of the first times that 
that the person of Jesus has ever felt this kind of trouble. Now, what Hebrews tells us is the good news about this is that we do not have a great high priest who's absent from our sufferings. And so what does that mean? He's not someone who, who's up here saying, do as I say, not as I do. He's actually saying, I'm going to do so that you believe what I actually have said and you can follow suit knowing that they are true. Now we talked about this idea even last week, the idea of the temple. And inside the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. And he was seen as someone who was above everyone else. He was seen as someone who was very important. And he was someone who had to deal with his own personal sin before he was able to go into the most holy place where God would meet with him on behalf of all people, one for all. Now what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus came as a Man, God became a man. Now, we talked about this last week. Why did he do that? Because God made a covenant with man and ultimately to show us what all men would do. That all men, what Romans tells us, have fallen short of the glory of God. We do not keep our promises. We do not keep our commitments. Even with the most beautiful, perfect God, this benevolent, gracious, loving, blesses us even beyond what we deserve. And yet, we still fall short. God makes a covenant with one man to show us what all men would do. He makes a covenant with one nation to show what all nations will do. They will all move away from God's way to their own way. They were meant to live above the beast of the fields, to, to take all of creation and subdue it and, and have dominion over it. But instead of doing that, they've decided to live like beasts. That's why we say, man, that, that they were wild I don't know why they acted like that. It was, it was beastly. It, it was something that I can't understand. It wasn't, when, when someone acts violently, we don't describe them or they act in a way that is outside of what we think normal human beings, what they were created to do. When they act outside of that, we begin to describe them in a way that is like a beast and not like a man. Now, I'm going to deal with that in just a, a moment. So, God makes this covenant with, with man, but yet shows us that even though God is good and, and gives goodness to us, we remove ourselves from that and go our own way and act beastly instead of made in the image of God. Kingdoms do the same thing. They give in to their beastly nature, and they move away from God and towards chaos and, and, and to a culture that is wild, without order. So what does God do? When man cannot keep his end of the bargain, God became a man, holds both ends of the bargains, that, that this may be an everlasting covenant, that God holds his end and our end, the end we could not hold. He, he removes himself from this beastly behavior and shows us what it truly means to be human. Or in other words, the son of man. What it truly means to be a man. So God became a man in order to show us. And this is the part where we find Jesus here. This is why he's done this, to, to hold this end of the bargain. But, what, uh, but ultimately what's happened in the bargain, man has accrued for himself some debt. See, the wages of sin is death. And so because of humanity's sinfulness, because of humanity's beastly, wild nature, they have accrued for themselves, we have accrued for ourselves, death. For the wages of sin is death. Or in other words, the punishment must fit the crime. And if we are going to be people of justice, then we have to be people that believe there should be punishment when there has been injustice. Or in other words, there must be a way in which we can set things that are wrong right. Are you with me? And so in order to believe in human rights, even this big conversation, we have to believe that there's a way in which humans should behave in a right way. 
And, and ultimately, when other human beings infringe on someone else's rights or the way in which it should be, then there has to be justice which sets everything just right. And so ultimately, to be a person, and this is why uh, many times it is the church, and it should be the church, that are on the forefronts of civil rights movements and, and, and human rights movements and humanitarian efforts because they believe that men and women have intrinsic value because they are made in the image of God, and so they have value, and there is a lawgiver, a legislator, who decides there is right and wrong. If you've ever looked at the world and say, That's, that just ain't right. I know you wouldn't say it that right, that way, but uh, 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 that should not be, right? I, I don't know. Uh, know how, uh, that ain't right, all right? And, and so if you've ever said uh, that should not be, then how should it be? And where do you get that standard for that? And so then what has happened is the world, humanity, has went its own way being deceived. And here's the question, and here's what begins to reveal back for us. Deceived by who? Because ultimately, there's this war going on between light and dark. And this God-man, his name is Jesus, came to the earth to resist the works of the enemy. And here's the, the realization that you have to have, is you have an enemy. Some of you were tempted to look to the person next to you, and that's rude, okay? Uh, all right. Don't do it, right? <laughs> you know what? I've been thinking. Anyways, uh, let, let, let me say this. Let me extrapolate on that. It, it is that your enemy is not flesh and blood. Someone say amen to that. You need to remind yourself that every single day. For we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principality and spiritual wickedness in high places. High places of authority, high places of influence. It doesn't mean that all people in high places of influence and authority are evil. But it does say that that is where our enemy plays ball. And you have an enemy. An enemy of your soul comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And you may quickly... On All Hallows' Eve, answer the question that this enemy is the devil. Or maybe you'd say Satan. Or maybe you would say Lucifer. Maybe you'd say all of these names. But what if I told you that some of these are, are titles rather than names? That, that, that when, when Jesus uses the word devil, it's like a title. He, he even calls uh, uh, people uh, little devils. You, you are of your father, the devil. You, you act like him. You, you are the father. Uh, you act like your father who out of his nature lies, for he is the father of lies. Let me give you some titles here. Because what happens is, is our culture removes us from uh, the teachings of the text, and all of a sudden we allow what culturally we know or, or get what gets put in front of us to begin to fill our minds with what's true. And then I have to ask the question when someone says to me, well, you know uh, it, it says this in the Bible. And I go, did you read that or were you taught that? And so can I just say that before you, before you quickly go, uh, it says in the Bible, um, make sure you read it in the Bible. Someone say amen to that. That should just be standard, okay? Uh, like cleanliness is next to godliness. It's not in there, friend. It's not. Uh, it's just not. And, and so... Uh, I even think I did that to my wife the other day. There was a, a, a quote that was like, hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. I was like, that's in the Bible. She was like, that's not in the Bible. I was like, well, it should be. Right? <laughs> She's like, it's about to get biblical in here. Anyways, uh, it's the mic. It's the mic. I don't know. Um, and uh, so the, the name, the title, devil, means the slanderer. So when, when you hear devil, what that means is he's the one who slanders, deceives. He's the one who takes good things and labels them bad. He's the one who can convince people 
that good is actually evil and evil is actually good. And so what we have to remove from ourselves is, is the devil doesn't come in with, with pointy ears and a pointy tail and a pitchfork. And he comes in letting everybody know that he's the devil. He's actually sly and cunning. And he comes in as an angel of light because there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of light and the kingdom of dark. And he will present himself in such a way that makes you think that things that you thought were merely preferences, things that you thought were merely good for you. See what I did there? I brought that all back. You're welcome. Uh, all the things that you thought in your life uh, that you, you revolved around, you spent your time, you spent your money on your energy, he will convince you that that's absolutely okay. You don't have to worry about those things in your life. You can just simply hold on to them, even though they have more of a hold on you than you have on them. And he'll convince you that that these little things are no big thing, but the Bible tells us it's actually the little things. And you know that to be true in every relationship. You know it to be true that, it, that it's, the, it's the small foxes that spoil the vine. It's death by a thousand paper cuts, friends. And now it's email strokes, right? Or Twitter or uh, it, it, it's a slow thing. It's a slow erosion over time. See, the devil tries to make us and convince us that things that are good, discipline, abstinence, devotion, faithfulness, steadfastness, stewardship, the enemy will take good things and convince you that those are actually good, that what's good for you is doing you and feeding you and doing what you want when you want it and, and make a life because you deserve it. And then you'll deal with the shame of the life that you look in the mirror, that you have lived in such a way that is all about you. You look in the mirror and realize that you've ended up with a life that is just you. And over time, he'll convince you that the very things that the scriptures would warn us about, would caution us about, he slanders those things. Now we have a culture that, that oftentimes a, a principled life devoted to God is now violence, is now evil. Man, when, when, when you have a a world that is convinced of its own press, when you have a world that is convinced of its own principles, but yet what those principles actually are, are their preferences. Are you with me? Someone say amen to that. So you have a world that is convinced that they are right because they like it, want it, feel it. And now they've become the gods of their own universe and they make terrible gods just like I would make a terrible god. Your spouse would make a terrible god. You make terrible gods. Someone say amen to that. You know I'd have been dead as your preacher already. You'd have been, you're like, don't say that, right? And, uh, and, and yet we, we are gods of our own universe, making for ourselves a world of our own preferences. And anyone who crosses that, like a religion, we, can, we, we simply go, you shouldn't say that, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't feel that way. And the enemy is the one who has uh, deceived and slandered. Now, the other title for this being that is the antithesis of all things is Satan. But really, when you, when you hear the word Satan, the Bible refers to it as the Satan, the Satan. And this is another title, which, which means the adversary. 
Satan is not his name, it is his title. And you see the symmetry of what, uh, what happens here is although Jesus' name is uh, Yeshua, which is a form of Joshua, Yahweh saves, he refers to himself in a way uh, where he gives himself titles, the Son of Man. Other people would give him a title, the Son of God. Uh, people would give him a title, Christ, Jesus Christ, which is a title, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Messiah. And so the, in the same way, the enemy of our soul uses titles, and it helps us understand exactly what his purpose is. Now, Satan means adversary. Satan means adversary. Why? Because he is not for anything, but he is against everything. Now, think about that in contrast to the first title, the first name that God gives us for himself. It's in the story of Moses where, where he tells him to go to the children of Israel in Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And he says, who shall I tell them? Sit me. And he says, tell them, I am that I am. I am. Now, now think about this in regard to what Satan is. God is saying, I am everything. Are you with me? I am all goodness, all peace, all joy, all fulfillment. If there's anything good, it comes. I am that. And Satan is against I am. Satan is his very being is the antithesis. He is the adversary. He is opposed. He's not for anything. He is against everything. He is, he is against the great I am. So anything that is for God, anything that puts God on display, he is absolutely against. Are you with me? Three of you, thank you. Are you with me? Someone say amen to that. Jesus goes on to say this. He says, at this time, at this hour, he says, now is the judgment of this world, and now the ruler of it is cast out. The ruler that he's referring to is the devil, the Satan. Another word, Lucifer, the prince of the power of the air, the one who controls and deceives and slanders. He has allowed him to rule and have his reign and deceive the nations. But now, Jesus says, not in 2021, which I kind of, the other day I wrote 2022, I was like, I'm moving on already. <laughs> You're going to have to cross that out and put your initials beside it because we're not in 2022. And I was like, I was post-dating that check. Anyways, uh, and not in 2021, but on this particular time when Jesus changed the world, when Jesus lived the life that we could not live and paid the debt that was not his, that we accrued for ourselves, for the wages of sin is death. And he says, and now is the judgment of the world. Now I have to take that at face value. I have to take what Jesus is saying at face value. Because many of us kind of get in this place where what we are taught or what we think about the scriptures, we get from somewhere else oftentimes. And so when we think about the judgment of the world, we think of something that comes later. Let's just be honest. When we think about the judgment of the world, we, we think of the end of the world. Some of you are lying to yourselves, but you know that's exactly what you've been talking about for two years now, right? This is it. <laughs> and so what happens is, is we, we, we have to be careful that the things that we think or propagate actually come from biblical scripture, and we have to have right thinking about it. And it's not always clear cut, but here's what I know. Jesus says that at this moment, he looks at his disciples when he's getting ready to go to the cross. His soul is troubled for the task that is at hand, but he will not relent. He will not move away from it. That's why the, the opening part of the story of Jesus is with the temptation of the devil. 
who begins to tempt him and say, you can have this kingdom. But even Satan was confused about Jesus' ultimate purpose. He says, listen, hey, throw yourself down from this mountain where the scriptures say that the angels will lift you up lest your foot should bash a stone. Bow before me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now maybe many of you have wondered, why is it that the enemy says that he can do that? Because he was the ruler of this world. And from that moment, up until that moment, the nations of the world, when you looked at them, were some of the most evil and atrocious places that you could ever possibly imagine. The stories throughout time of, that we quickly go, oh, this is, this is terrible. It's like, you don't know terrible, friend. Well, this is, this is atrocious. How, how could leaders do that? Let me remind you of a Roman Colosseum for entertainment. People would watch lions and animals rip people apart for fun. Open murder for entertainment. We get frustrated with video games and violence on shows. But I can't imagine a world where the preference, like a baseball game, is, hey, we're going to the Coliseum today. And when preferences, see, it's a little thing. And every culture has to deal with their thing. And what, what could be your preference, the enemy can use and disguise it as a principle and blind and deceive and slander. Did God really say? He doesn't care about this thing. He's not concerned with those things. See, but here's what Jesus says about this particular time and this particular space. God chose this time in the middle of the, one of the most violent kingdoms in the history, history of the world, he allows himself, the judge of the world, allows himself to be judged. At his trial, he's going to stand before the high priest Caiaphas. And Caiaphas is going to ask him, everyone, the rumors are around, you, you keep calling yourself and referring to yourself as the I am. What do you say for yourself? And finally, Jesus speaks up and he says, I am the I am. And yes, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds. In that moment, Caiaphas rips his garment and he goes, what more do you need to hear? He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be the judge. Now, the irony of this, the irony is that this it is at the trial of Jesus, and Jesus is the only one worthy to judge, and yet he allows himself to be judged. And he says, this is the judgment of the world. The judgment of the world. What do you mean, Pastor Sam? What I'm saying is, is that when we should have been judged, when we were the guilty party standing in front of the judge, the judge stepped out from behind his bench and he says, no, no, no. How about, how about you judge me instead? He says, no, 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 don't worry about him anymore. I'm gonna stand in his place. And the enemy, the adversary, the accuser of the brethren is pointing fingers at all of us. And Jesus says, no, point your finger at me. And then very real, we, we see Pontius Pilate going, I got nothing. I can't find any fault. They keep going back and forth between the Jewish high priest and their courts and, the, and King Herod, the Jewish puppet king of the Romans, and the governor of that particular area, Pontius Pilate. And they go, I can't find anything. I don't want anything to do with him. You can't find anything. What are we going to do? Let's leave it up to the crowds. And they begin to chant, crucify. We'll give you a murderer. Listen, they bring Barabbas on stage. Barabbas is a man who's convicted of murder. 
And they go, every year, it's customary for us to release someone to make a pardon. Who do you want, Jesus of Nazareth or Barabbas? They begin to chant, give us Barabbas. Now one of the most powerful sermon illustrations we have is an actual guilty party and an innocent man. And we see the two trade places. The judgment of the world. What's the world? You and I. The judgment of the world is all of us who make it up, who mess it up. The judgment of the world is all our mistakes, all of our decisions, all the totality of all of our leadership, all of the beastly decisions that we've decided to make opposed to the good grace of Jesus Christ. And they missed it. Why? Because no one saw this coming. C.S. Lewis said one time, when people said Christianity is complicated, and he says, well, you could make up something a little more simple. But the truth is complicated. So, man, I understand. Because this is so complicated and so complex and so outside of your mentality that it could only come from God. That man deserved judgment. And so God became a man. And he allowed himself to be judged. This is the judgment of the world. And the enemy, because of it, he didn't see it coming, is cast out. What was the judgment of the world? The day that he was lifted up for all men to see. He says, when the Son of Man is lifted up and glorified, he spoke of this as the type of death that he would die. How many of you, uh, maybe this is unfamiliar for you, but what's the insurance company that has the, has the snake on the pole? Which one's that? You seen this? You ever wonder why that? What is that? What's the, what's the organization, that their logo? They have, they have the snake on the pole, don't they? You ever thought, why in the heck is that a healthcare symbol, right? Do you, how many of you, you don't have to say it out, but how many know what that story's from? few of us. So in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, there was this, this problem where the children of Israel were, were sick, and ultimately God is going to heal them. And so what he does is he, he tells Moses to kill a snake and put it on a pole and lift it up. And whenever, whoever sees that will be healed. Now, why would God use that as a symbol for healing? Because when God looked at the cross, that's what he saw. A snake on a pole. Defeated. Conquered. That's why Corinthians will say this. God made him who knew no sin to be sin to take the works of the enemy, to take it in himself. The Bible says that he condemned sin in his flesh and the judgment of the world was put on display. What did the world deserve? Death. What did Jesus do for the world? He took on death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe would look on him and believe that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one we've always been waiting for, the one we were supposed to look to for our healing, the one we were supposed to look to for our salvation. And this is how he's defeated the works of the enemy. And from that day forward, because of his crucifixion, He's received glory and honor. And in his death, his execution would be his exaltation.
And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's in charge and he rules and he reigns. No longer does the enemy have power the way you think he has power. Now all he has are shadow games. Where nations ruled through violence, the church has begun to infiltrate through love and service. Entire nations have been changed. Regimes have never lasted. Full-on humanitarian efforts have happened in order to change globally what the world looks like. You go, man, I don't know that the world is getting better or worse. I don't either. But I do know that the church is getting bigger. And I do know that the church is getting stronger. And I do know that the church is rising up, being founded, not on their preferences, what songs they like, what musicians they like, what preachers they like best. All right, stop it. Cut it out. I'm not letting that preference become a principle, right? So then what happens is, is I have to then believe that Jesus is king, he's Lord, he's put to death the works of the enemy. So why then would I listen to the enemy? Why then would I allow small preferences to move me away from the person of Jesus and convince myself it's a small thing? You know, I even think uh, we talk about... Uh, this particular day, I won't get into it too much. Uh, all week, Pastor Tyler was trying to get me to do a podcast about Christians and Halloween. And uh, I was like, I really don't want to wade into that, you know? And he's like, so you'll wade into mask and vaccine mandates, but you won't wade into Halloween? What kind of pastor are you? And I'm still trying to figure that out. See, I think there's some things that, here's, here's what I would say. So tonight we're going to have an amazing time with a bunch of kids. And we're going to give them a safe, fun environment around people who know Jesus. Amen? And the point will be to serve them, to care for them. Not to celebrate a pagan holiday that the church has tried to rebrand throughout history. But I want to make the point about serving. See, I grew up in a church where we, didn't, we went to Hallelujah Nights. How many of you remember that, right? Yeah, pray for you, boy, right? Uh, I never went trick-or-treating. I never did any of that. And, and that's been a conversation in our families and maybe even with you, your kids. See, I think there's a way in which we can look at culture, and there's three principles I think we can have. We can receive, reject, or redeem. See, there's some things that we can receive as is. Right? There's some songs that we sing. There's some things that are just good music or good things that we don't have to change it or tweak it. We can use it and accept it and have it be a part of our lives. Then there are things that we need to redeem. Right? There's some things that I, I can't take all of it, but maybe I can, I can change some things. I can redeem it. What the enemy meant for evil, I'll use it for good because that's what God does. Amen? Are you with me? There's some things that I... Listen, friend, Halloween is not a, 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 a holiday that you should just receive as is. Let me say that. It's something that you need to redeem. If fear and darkness and what you celebrate is lying and what you celebrate is deceiving... Because the enemy is not for anything, he's against everything. And the enemy comes to steal, to kill, destroy, to deceive. If that's what you celebrate, maybe you need to ask, you go, oh, it's just, it's just all fun. No, it's just all preference. And now you've held on to it. And the same thing happens at Christmas, right? Can I tell you that if you can, you can say that Christmas is about Jesus, but if the main point of Christmas at your house is not about Jesus, is it really? All about Jesus? See, always remember that. Sometimes the holidays are blatant and out in front. And then some of them, they come in like an angel of light. 
trying to take away or steal or distract. And so here's what this passage tells me is the enemy tries to deceive, but he has no power. If you speak truth, you stand on Christ. You love the Lord your God with all your heart. You submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and resist the devil. He will flee. He has no power. He's been rendered powers, powerless. The, in, the, the ruler of this world has been cast out. And now judgment is not something you fear. It's not about being worried of whether God's going to be mad at you or not. There's some things that I think about Romans, which says <clears throat> they were arguing about what meat they would eat. Because what would happen in festivals like this, and so they would there would be a festival, a pagan festival, and they would have a sacrifice, just like the Jews would have Passover and they'd have a sacrifice. And then it was basically a big barbecue. And so they would take some of the meat and then they would invite their Christian friends over. And maybe some of them were new Christians and they were still going to the pagan festival. And some people would go or be around and some people would eat the meat that was sacrificed to an idol. And they had no conscience about it. They go, let's just eat, it's just meat. That's a dead idol. That's a false god. It has no power because the enemy has been rendered powerless. Are you following? So then Romans says, let the strong and the weak journey together because people are going to have different conscience uh, and feelings about these particular things. Or in other words, do you eat candy that you got from trick-or-treating or from the trunk-or-treat? Which one's holy, right? You like what I did there, right? You go, you know, uh, we can't eat candy from the, the trick-or-treating, right? We only eat trunk-or-treat candy or hallelujah night candy. And, and here's ultimately, the, the question is not about what you eat. It's not about what your preferences are. It is, are you standing in the kingdom of light, not being deceived, putting on display his light so that your family, your friends, those around you can see that Jesus is really King and Lord and we follow him and him alone no matter what my preferences are. I'll follow the principles of the King and him alone. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I thank you that as we walk through this passage, we know that you took on the judgment of the world because you love the world. And you condemn sin in the flesh, your flesh. And you put to death, death, that we may join you in your death so that we may join you in your resurrected life. For we are crucified with Christ daily, so it is no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us and through us. Let us not hold fast to our preferences least they become principles that we fight a religious war for. But let us lay down our preferences and serve others in spite of our preferences. Let us love and care. Let us see beyond the veil. Let us realize that the enemy is not our brothers and our sisters, flesh and blood, but many who are deceived. And if we would light the way they would be able to come out of the darkness and into the marvelous light of the kingdom of God. Let us shine bright. Let us not hide our light under a bushel, but let us shine for all the world to see for your glory and the good of this valley. And everyone said, amen. Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?